Hi everyone, uh, we are ready to start the session. Uh, this one is called Sweet Voices, Tough Tales, and it speaks about Ukozi at FM at 59 years, as well as Zulu Radio and the creation of the modern Zulu audience. To present this session for us is Liz Gunner, who is the research professor at the University of Johannesburg. A big round of applause, please. Oh, well, hi everyone, and um, thank you for the introduction. And it's actually, the, it, the, the title is not really about the creation of a black modern audience, it's just about the idea of the black modern, which I explore through, um, through, through trying to understand how Ukozi became the amazing station um, that it is today, and that it can pull in 7.7 .7 million listeners, which is probably the biggest radio station on the continent, and, you know, maybe even wider. And so it's this extraordinary thing about the voice and the sound of voices and, and how Ukozi is where it is now. And so what I did was uh, I began to listen to it because I wanted to try and uh, better my speaking of Zulu. And I got hooked on it. And that was a while ago. And then I began to write about it. So really, this is... Uh, just um, what I want to, I want to tell you a little bit about, about, about the book and, and why it's called Radio Soundings and this idea of mine of what constitutes a black modern. And so I go back into history and I talk about links with the black Atlantic, Africa, Europe, America and the connections. So anyway, so, so the book is about the station which is now 59 years old. Ukozi FM, and if you, if you ever tune into it, you'll hear them talking about 59, we're 59, and that's, um, you know why, because it started in, in 1960. Um, so anyway, my, the idea behind the book is that radio, I mean, you all know this because your radio kind of, you're all kind of hooked on radio, I expect, but I mean, the idea that radio, it creates publics, it creates communities, and I think it helps to shape a culture of the everyday. And that culture of the everyday that, is, that radio can shape, I think it enables people to live productive and meaningful lives. And sometimes it helps them to do that in spite of huge and seemingly insurmountable difficulties. Now, I think that's very much true now, because people often say, Ukozi, we are fundisa. You know, teaches us, it looks after us. But was it true when Radio Bantu began? That's a different story. So let's just think about that for a bit. So in the book, I move from the 1940s through to the early years of the new millennium. And there's actually, I called this particular talk Sweet Voices, Tough Tales, because there were sweet voices on um, Radio Bantu right from the beginning, amazing voices like K.I. Masinga, Hubert Sishi, later Winnie Matlangu, Guy Bonompanza, Eric Ngobo, um, Togozani Nene, amazing people. And, and there was a sweetness of voice, and also a man called Alexius Butelesi, who did music drama as well as written uh, radio drama, and he often gets left out. But uh, someone said of him, Sox Kubega said of him, he had Ipimbo Elimnandi. 
the sweetest of voices. And it seems to me that it's sometimes difficult to translate across languages. And the, this Ipimbo Elimnandi in Zulu, it doesn't quite mean the same as sweet voice. It means a sort of sweet voice that fills you with happiness. So it's, not, you know, it's, it's difficult to get across uh, languages sometimes. So I want to go back to the 1960. And now African language radio, if you think back to 19, the history of 1960, it was envisaged as a key medium of control by the South African state. So it was as a project, those were the days of Milan and Henry Krabut. Um, it was a project where radio with Zulu, Klosa, and Sutu was planned as a medium of control and subjugation. There's absolutely no, I, no doubt about that at all. If you go through the parliamentary records, if you go through the archives of the letters, um, Native Affairs, for Native Affairs, it was about control. Um, but why I think Radio Bantu actually started was that Favut was terrified of radio because there was already cable radio. Uh, the states to the north were getting independence and Favut saw the power of radio and was very alarmed by it. So he wanted to control it. So in a sense, Favut wanted to control sound. You can't do that, really. You can try, but you'll mess it up. And they messed it up. They kept trying. They put in their mandarins at the top, but they, they, they messed up, I think. But now what we need to remember, if you're thinking of a bigger, the bigger picture, was that um, if you think of radio as part of empire, British, the British Empire also used radio as a form of control. If you read someone like Peter Bloom talking about Ghana, for instance, or um, the Northern Rhodesian Federation, Zambia, and so on. Radio was meant to make people think in a certain way and to understand in a certain way. But um, the result was absolutely completely different. It just didn't produce that kind of servile, kind of clone population at all. It produced a very vibrant, modern uh, radio station with, with uh, publics, urban and rural publics, who wrote in, they spoke in, they wrote millions of letters to Radio Bantu and Radio Zulu saying what they wanted. And it was often letters about drama, about what was happening in the drama, what they thought should happen in the drama, and so on. So what happened, I think, was this was a successful project and it came out of the failed project of control. And it became an opportunity for the technologization of the black voice. It became a hugely popular radio station, first as Radio Bantu, then from 1973, Radio Zulu, and then in 1990, it became Ukozi FM. Now, it created followers. It created a community in urban and rural areas. And certain voices and radio personalities crafted a public space. And, and people like Eric Ngobo, for instance, or Winnie Mahlangu, they crafted this radio persona for themselves. And this, I believe, is part of the way 
the black modern came about, um, it, it kind of undercut the cold, antiquated vision of the Bantu, that the radio was meant to keep going. It was, it was called Radio Bantu because the word Bantu had been kind of taken over and used to be the word that meant black people, but it was a kind of negation of the word, if you like, but it turned into something very different. It was meant to be a, a medium of propaganda and thought control. It became a medium for exploration, discussion, um, thinking about identity, irony, things like that. Okay, now which voices and personalities are we talking about? Okay, I've mentioned some names. Winnie Mahlangu, Eric Ngobov, Mandlangos Nene for a few. But let's think about King Edward Masinga. So King, King Edward Masinga was headmaster of a school south of Durban. But what he really wanted, he wanted a radio station for Zulu, and there wasn't one. We're thinking now of even before the birth of Ukozi FM, we're thinking 1940s, okay? He wanted a radio station. He wanted it for Zulu. So one day, he walked into the SABC in Durban, in Alawal Street, and he asked for a job. And he probably asked um, Andrew Tracy. So I just want to read you a little bit. So he goes in. So King Edward Massinga. A young head teacher who trained at Dubes Otlanga Institute and obtained his teacher's qualification from Adams College in around 1924, desperate, remember this is 1941, I'm talking about now, desperate for the war news to be broadcast to Zulu listeners in their own language, walked into the Durban SABC studios and asked to be employed for this purpose um, as the first Zulu announcer. Now he met with a refusal. But instead of walking out, sadly or angrily, he performed his exit within a particular genre, drawing on a set of gestures, semiotic. He walked out backwards from the presence of the man who had said no, as one would when leaving the presence of Zulu royalty. So he exclaimed, as one would for Zulu royalty, literally, Hail you of the royal house. At which point, so the story goes, the official figure of authority, who was probably the um, journalist and ethnomusicologist and head of SABC then, Hugh Tracy, changed his mind and Masinga got in. Now there's a picture of Masinga later doing his thing. And Masinga, I think, was the father of Zulu Radio. And he's one of the people that I've, I've dedicated this book to. Um, the other was my research assistant, Wiseman Masango. Um, so he came in in 1941, and he was given three minutes um, daily to read the news. Uh, so he read the war news for three days, three, three minutes, and gradually he kind of built it up. And he became, he's called always the father of Zulu Radio. But the thing is, he was not dancing to anybody's tune. He had very powerful people above him that he had to negotiate with, but he was his own man. This is what I firmly believe. Um, 
He was not a neo-traditional voice. He was a modernizer. He loved Frank Sinatra. He loved tap dancing. And he saw a place for Zulu culture, names, local histories, within what he crafted on Zulu radio. So he had um, a session, but he also had a session on how to handle difficult marriage situations. Which he, and, and, and he kind of loved this Sinatra music. So he had these different things going. And he also had a lot to do with radio dramas. Some of the most famous dramas uh, are ones that his voice came into. And he did the dramatization of the famous book by Nembezi, Inkinsele Yasem Gungundlovu. That became a very famous radio production as well. And it was Masinga who was behind it. So I then take this idea of the black modern and I link it to, link it to people like Blok Modisane and Lewis Nkosi, who also worked with radio, not with Zulu radio, but they worked with radio when they were in exile. And there's a section on the book called Distance and Intimacy. And it looks at Modisane and Lewis Nkosi, who, who were both part of the Safayatan Renaissance, of the 50s and the 60s, and then went into exile. Now, interestingly, Masinga, Modisane, and Nkosi, they all visited America at roughly the same time in the early 1960s when the civil rights movement was just beginning to boil. So they were all there. Um, Nkosi was in New York. He was there first. Um, and Masinga and Modisane went around and lectured at various African-American colleges. And Masinga did quite a lot of work on television as well. Um, and so he, he, kind of, he kind of just braved it out. And he got an invitation from the American State Department and the South Africans couldn't stop him. And he went, he moved around, he went to the South, he spoke about music, he spoke about language, and he just made his mark. And then he came back, and they took his passport away again. But he'd been. Modisane and Nkosi were in America, but from exile. Masinga from home. Okay. Now, so then what I, talk, what I think is important is these links with the Black Atlantic, which get kind of, kind of left out. And these links go back to drum, um, in, in the famous time of the 50s and 60s in the Sapphire Town, Renaissance, and um, sorry, I'm moving around too much. They were they're really interesting figures that sometimes get left out of this story that I think need to be brought in. One of them is James Baldwin, who was a huge influence on Modisane and Nkosi, and another is this fabulous African-American writing who was writer who was part of the Harlem Renaissance called Langston Hughes. <clears throat> um, do you know his poetry? Langston Hughes. Okay. He's amazing. He came and judged some of the early drum stories, competitions. He judged them. So he had a link with drum. He had a link with the writers of, of drum. But Modisane was particularly close to Langston Hughes, and he looked up to Langston Hughes as a fellow writer, a senior writer, who could influence him. 
And so by this time, I'm going to read you another bit. Um, Morissane is in exile in London. He's writing plays. He's writing for the BBC. He never wrote for Ukosi, he just wrote for the BBC. And so he's got this connection with Langston Hughes, who puts Modisane's poetry into his um, two anthologies, one of which is called Poems of Black Africa, and it's got Modisane in that. Now, I just want to read you this bit, because the book, it's about exile and radio as well, and how, you, how radio creates intimacy from a space of exile. Because Modisane goes on, and I talk about this in the book as well, he writes plays uh, about South Africa and difficult moments in the 80s. Um, and the plays that could, could not have come out here, they wouldn't have, been, they wouldn't have got through the censors. Um, but they get onto the BBC and they become quite famous. So that's what I talk about. But this is the point about how you feel as a writer when you're in exile and how you need people to help you to get on and inspire you. And in this case, it's one black voice in London, Modisane, and he and Langston Hughes have been together in East Africa. They've been at the famous Kampala um, Makerere um, African Writers Conference, and then Langston Hughes has gone back to New York. So he says to um, Langston Hughes, letter, you've always made me feel that maybe something good will come out of me yet. When I think I'm going mad, you tell me, nuts. So six months later, they, they met in Kampala, and then they go home, America, London, and Modisani writes again, I've seldom been hungrier in my life, not even in South Africa. Anyway, I'm writing my book, that was blame me on history, his autobiography, and if I didn't have to dedicate it to my mother, it would have been dedicated to you. I'm frightfully proud to know you. Just keep believing in me. Someday, I'll justify it. So that again is this thing about the story of three continents, people who were in Europe. Modisane then leaves London and goes to Germany and dies in Germany in the late 80s. Langston Hughes in New York, African-American writer of great importance and the South African continent. Okay, so Nkosi is known for a famous book called Exile, Home and Exile, but Nkosi also ran a radio station in London where he got amazing voices of people like Wale Shoenka who were coming through London to come and talk on this station, Transcription Center. And that was quite amazing too. Um, and it couldn't have happened here. So he gets on the station, he gets, um, yeah, he gets Shoyenka, he also gets um, Dudu Pukwana and, and jazz groups. So he has a kind of African presence in this London station, which is really quite extraordinary, I think. Um, okay, then I, I want to talk a little bit in uh, this last part. Uh, I called it Sweet Voices and Tough Tales. So why, why do I say tough tales? Well, I think it's because if you look back at the history of the amazing dramas that came through the station, 
they were tackling difficult subjects. There were difficult subjects about marriage, about uh, father-son relations, children relations, just tough. So that's why you got this combination of the, the, the enchantment of radio, but the stories, the stories that had to hook you, otherwise you wouldn't keep listening, the dramas, were often very tough. Now, there was one that became quite famous um, in the 1980s. And the thing about these dramas was, yes, there was control. There was a kind of censorship. You couldn't have the same stuff on these, in these dramas or on Ukozi or Radio Zulu that you could have on Radio Freedom. You just couldn't do it. And um, Peter Raseroka, for instance, from SABC, told me that the plays went off to be, to be um, that they would be censored. So you'd have to work that out. But what seems to have happened is that the, the dramas, they kind of tracked the times without necessarily being political in an overt sense, but they were extremely political. And the way they talked about gender, new kinds of being a young woman, new kinds of being in rural, uh, rural and urban spaces, the 70s, for instance. Um, but I just want to talk a little bit about this one, which you may know, and which people are always trying to turn into a film. Uh, Welcome Absormi said he wanted to do a film on this, but it just, nothing's happened with it. So what we're left with is the sound. So what we need to ask ourselves, what is the power of the sound of something? That when it's translated into pure visuality, something gets lost. Now, it's, it's quite a famous long play, radio drama, cut up into several bits. It went for six months. Um, it was written by an amazing Zulu writer called Vusumuzi Morris Bengu, who you may know, who wrote some novels, but it's these plays uh, that I think made him really famous. So he takes a family story and he looks at the violence of the mid-1980s. He looks at the beginning of the Civil War in KwaZulu-Natal. I don't know whether any of you are familiar with that period, but it was a terrible period. Um, and it hasn't been written about enough. Um, okay, so the play was called Izuvalu, Singlobisibindi. In spite of fear, courage will win. And it ran for six months, from 80, 1986 right through to 1987. It even ran on Christmas Day. And it's a story of magic, multi, and it blends it with the story of a family destroyed, absolutely destroyed. Often, these, the plays, the radio dramas, end with a resolution. You go through difficulty, you see terrible crisis and drama, and you get resolution. There's no resolution in Izuvan. Good does not win. Neither does evil necessarily, but the evil is still around. So I don't know why that play has kept its fire. Maybe it's because there's no resolution. But anyway, it gets put on from time to time. And so the violence of the play in some way captured the violence of the time. The warlords, the use of muti, the murder of uh, people like Victoria Mwenge and, and, and her husband. All that was going on at the same time that this play was happening. So it was as if there was a kind of transfer of some heightened sense of crisis.
that was able to move from the everyday political to the, um, the play itself. All right. So then I think all my, uh, one of my arguments, again, in the book is that all this contributes to the making of Zulu as a really important public language, a modern public language of now. Um, and I just want to... I don't know how long I've been talking for, but I'm going to stop anyway. Okay, perfect. So anyway, I'm going to, the book ends with the station as it is now, some of the early modern plays, early millennium plays, and also people like um, Mr. Magic, Linda C.B. and people like that. So how is the station managing now? I think it's managing very, very well. But anyway, how does this station and the power of the station and the pull of the station, how does it tie in with the rush to English by Zulu speakers post-1994? Um, now, there was a rush to English, and people like Atambili Masila, for instance, are talking now about the, uh, people who are taking their children back to school to learn Kosa and Zulu because they're not learning them in learning anything about the language in the Model C schools. So it's, it's quite an issue now. And it seems that 1994, everyone said, Woo! So off they all went, learned English. And so what happened to Zulu? Well, in some ways, partly because of a station like Ukozi, Zulu continued to flourish because it had this huge base and it kept working the base and it kept producing a public sound, a public voice about things that were intimate but also things that were big and political. So you got the intimate and the, public, the private working together. So there's a very nice book by a man called Mark Hunter which is just out. It's called... Um, Race for Education, and it's about um, parents taking their children to schools, English-speaking schools, where English is very strong, to get what he calls white tone. Well, I'm suggesting, I think, first of all, that all the African languages at the moment in South Africa are, are under pressure from English. But I think that a powerful radio station, like Ukozi, and I think it's powerful, wasn't meant to be, it was meant to be controlled, but something happened. A powerful station like Ukozi can suggest a space for a kind of balance and a kind of dignity and a kind of self-respect and maybe a kind of black modern tone which complements this white tone. Okay, I'll stop there. Thank you. Does anybody have any questions for Liz? Could you please come closer, because our mic is attached. Thank you. Uh, Liz, thank you very much for your account. I come from Zimbabwe, and I've been broadcasting since 1974. But uh, before that, uh, in our family, we're, we're a radio family, and we would listen to all the plays, would listen to you know, different dramas. And some of the dramas that were played on the then African service, because when I joined, it was the African service of the Rhodesia Broadcasting Corporation, were plays by uh, Inkisela Asem Kumunjov, 
that you make reference to. Inyatsi, Mabunu Sabela, and other. And I realized when I joined in 1974, because all along I thought there were tapes or live programming, but I realized they were actually on vinyl. They were records. So, and, they, and I think they were recorded by CBS. And we would actually play them back on vinyl, you know, not, not, not real to real tape. So we knew a lot about King Edward Masinga, uh, and also uh, before our own language, the Ndebele language of Zimbabwe, which is slightly different. It's more closer to Zulu than the Ndebele of uh, Limpopo. Uh, before it was developed into a fully fledged language, you know, for learning at school, people actually uh, studied Zulu. They would go to the University of Zululand and they would, you know, those doing A-levels, so, uh, uh, I mean, all levels going upwards, they would actually study what was called Zulu A. So I, I saw this book outside. I actually bought another book. But when I saw Radio Soundings, I thought it was a technical book. I, I didn't buy it. I bought the other book about radio in Africa. I thought it was a book <laughs> about technology, how machines <laughs> developed and so forth. I didn't open it and so forth. And uh, I regret that I have not bought <laughs> your book and so forth. But from what you have said, uh, it resonates very well with my history in broadcasting. First, as a family listener, because in my family, I think four of us, the Masukus, my friend there will vouch, uh, became broadcasters. So we followed radio ardently and we listened. And most of our stuff, especially in Debele, was coming from South Africa. I'm sure you still remember the song, Iretio Bantu Izilete Lagonke. Give me a concert. Nanso. Oh, thank you very much. You didn't say your full name. My name is John Masugo. John Masugo. Yes. Thank you very much, Mr. Yes. Masugo. Uh-huh. Oh, I think he did. Teta. Yes. No, Teta was very popular. Yes. I believe. Um, look, I just want to tell you that how I got all this, part of the way I got all this information together. I did a lot of work in sound archives. I worked in the SABC sound archives. I worked in the BBC sound archives. Um, I worked in the National English Literary Museum in, um, in, in Rhodes, because that's where they had the letters between Modisani and um, Langston Hughes. And I also worked in the archives at the University of Austin, Texas, because they've got the papers of the transcription center. So all these things are very scattered. But, but what I wanted to say really was that, I mean, what I've got in this book, which I think is, I think it's a good book, but you know, I'm biased, but it's rich, but it's only the surface. Because I think, and this, uh, with, Mas with uh, Masinga, for instance, I think that he did send these kind of glass. I think it was glass recordings that went north. And I think there was a huge movement between South Africa and the two Rhodesias as they then were and all that, you know. So there was a lot of circulation that we haven't talked about. So what I'm also saying is that there's a lot still to do and to be worked out. Sanbonani, good afternoon. Oh, thank you so much, Prof. 
uh, for your wonderful presentation here. Uh, uh, you took me back memory lanes. I love radio. I love radio. I am also come from Zimbabwe, like Mr. Masugu. Actually, when I was growing up, I used to listen to him on radio with the likes of uh, the late Harin Lea, Chablani uh, Mangena. Anyhow, it's just to cut this long story short, uh, talking about radio, I love radio. No wonder why. I'm, I'm now here in South Africa now. I'm 33 years in South Africa now. I think I'm suffering from identity crisis. I don't know whether I'm from Rhodesia or South Africa, <laughs> but uh, life goes on. Uh, talking about Ukozi is one of my favorite stations. I love Ukozi. And uh, you're quite right that it's uh, one of the most popular radio stations, not only in South Africa, but throughout the continent. The gentleman whom you mentioned here, the late gentleman whom you mentioned here, uh, Tutupuwana, I happened to meet him. That was in 1985. 1985, I was in Mozambique. Tutupuwana had been invited to Mozambique because Mozambique was celebrating their 10th anniversary of, of, of independence. So I happened to be one of the entertainers there. And one of the things he mentioned, when I had a conversation with him, I said, Dudu, now we are in exile. Don't you miss South Africa? He said, my brother, we're homesick. Home, home, homesick. And uh, he actually mentioned that uh, for them, they, he, was, he was based in London, by the way, for them to keep updated about all the developments happening in, in, the, in South Africa, they were listening to Ukos uh, FM. Just imagine, from 1995. So definitely your presentation, you know, you, you've taken me back memory. Thank you so much for this wonderful presentation. I think we'll take one last comment or question. Uh, thank you very much, everybody. My name is Karabo Monacheng. Kitsoko uh, Northwest, Rustenbeck. Identity is very much important in uh, Africa. So, you know, Prof, thank you very much for the information that you brought to us. Uh, I've been touched, you know, talking about uh, our Vanek radio station. When you're looking at radio today, since 1994, what's going down? Uh, our identity, where is it? Let me just talk and then about the Ukozi FM, you know, big up to Ukozi FM. Uh, I'm not the Zulu speaking person, but I follow Ukozi. I've uh, discovered that the best best talent is out of Ukozi. Likes of, uh, uh, you just indicated, Ulinda's beer, Mr. Magic. I don't know why did they uh, take him. It's politics of the industry. You got uh, the likes of uh, DJ Stemeza, you know, he was just young and aspiring talent, you know. We have seen the likes of uh, Chili M making a turn at uh, Ukozi FM. So you have realized that uh, we blacks, we have realized our identity. We can even check the migration. Most uh, guys from uh, Gagasi FM, uh, they are at the flagmanship shows at Ukozi FM as we speak now. But now, uh, what's going on to other stations? It's an insult to me, as Motswana speaking guy, when you listen to radio, the, the Motswading FM, you see, 
content the people who are working at Muswini FM they are not proud about the language they can't even express and speak uh, Sichuan fluently they always mix with English so the question I'm asking is uh, where are we heading to our kids will they know that the radio it's all about English I don't know maybe if you're speaking English you are smart is, is it the way of uh, doing things right what I don't know but I believe uh, through this I'll get the answer and I'm suggesting that uh, uh, I don't know uh, on a conference like this the impact that could have towards our Vanek stations uh, how would it be like how can this influence uh, policies you know and the running of day-to-day -day radio station and including our pan-african language board because for us uh, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, where would we be with our language? It's, they are, they've been good storytelling presenters back then. You just indicated Lives of the Late K. Masinga. I've heard about him on Ukozi FM, and I've heard that he's a big... Uh, I've listened to Wilson Bingo some other time. I was talking about those. I've, uh, I've heard that those are big names in the industry. Now, in the Setswana stereo, Mutsweding uh, FM, we got the likes of Abu Silopiri. Uh, there's our legion in Setswana. We've got the likes of Bontate, Rastas Maikezumaut. You know, they made the choral music where it is today, you know. But they are not recognized today, you know. But I believe uh, we'll get answers today. Ambabu, thank you very much. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much. Our time is up, unfortunately. But thank you so much, uh, Professor Liz Ghana for Ghana. Yes, um, for this very beautiful session and I hope everyone learned a thing or two from this. Can we give one last round of applause for uh, Professor Liz Ghana?